0: welcome those who uh, are joining us through video here and uh, we have a wonderful study here this morning it's good to be together as i said earlier on the sabbath day we praise the lord for the sabbath day the day of rest we can rest from all our cares uh, our worldly jobs you know our temporal things and we can just keep looking up this whole day and praising God for His wonderful blessings and and the the opportunities that we have uh, to, um, to be among those that are redeemed. That's something that we can always thank God for. Isn't that true? Now, before we get into our study this morning, we want to have a little season of prayer. So I invite you to bow your heads with me and let's come before uh, our King and uh, and let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day, for your love towards us in creating a day that we can spend with thee, entirely with thee, with those of like faith, with the angels from heaven. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us uh, throughout this holy day, that we may keep it holy, and that our eyes may always be looking up, looking up to our salvation. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct us here this morning as we study into your word, give us uh, the ability to discern truth from error, put aside our opinions, and uh, look to see what thus saith the Lord uh, it has for us today. Uh, we lift up before you those on our prayer list, those mentioned today. We pray that you be very near to them, and help us, Lord, each one, to be a living epistle of your love and and uh, and Jesus. Maybe may people see Jesus in us and the way we think and say and what we say and what we do. Of course, they can't see what we think, but uh, in in our actions, may they be drawn to Thee, Father. We pray also that you forgive us our sins. We claim the blood of Jesus that was shed there at Calvary. And uh, we humbly ask that you will save us. Father, we believe. Help thou our unbelief this morning. And so, give me the words to speak, I pray, in the blessed name of Jesus, who is so worthy. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, we have talked about the first and second steps uh, in the salvation process in order to be uh, justified in God's sight, and how these steps relate to the third angel's messages, um, that third angel's message of Revelation 14, you know, verses 9 to 12. And these first two steps we found were, first step was repentance, And the second step uh, was confession. But what do we do um, once we have been made right with God through these first two steps? I mean, is that all that's required in order for us to be assured a place in heaven? Now, friends, there are many that would say yes (laughs) to that question. And they'll say that, well, that's all that's required to be saved. And and, and I would agree uh, if one died right after these first two steps, you know, like the, the thief on the cross there that was next to Jesus died after he took those uh, first two steps. But the Bible does not teach that once we're saved, we are uh, eternally um, secure not as long as probation is open, friends. Life goes on, doesn't it? And we must learn to walk and keep on walking in the newness of life, to walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, the Bible tells us. Um, As a side note, if you you want a good study, uh, read chapters 6 and chapters 8, of the book of Romans, and it's very clear that God has made a way for us to live a life of joyful obedience to Him. Because the wages of sin is eternal death, and God wants us to live eternally, there has to be a way for us to stop sinning, or all life here really is pointless. Wouldn't you say, friends? Um, You know, I worked with a guy a long time ago, I worked with a guy who was a Southern Baptist. And we talked about this belief of once saved, always saved. And and I'm sure you probably have come across that before in your life or heard about it. Um, But uh, we talked about his belief of once saved, always saved a few times. And after a few discussions, I remember him saying, I believe in once saved, always saved as long as you keep saved. And I believe that to be a true statement. And this is why, friends, there is a third step. After repentance and confession, there has to be a way to remain justified by faith. Otherwise, the rest of our lives would be spent sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting. And unfortunately, uh, that's the way most professed Christians will live their entire lives till the day they die. But if they die that way, beloved, um, they will have a shocking surprise when they find themselves outside the walls of the holy city looking in just before fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. Now, I don't mean to sound insensitive, um, but it's true. Uh, what a shock it will be for millions of people that thought that they were ready to meet Jesus. It'll be an incredible shock. Now, Jesus mentions this group of people uh, in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23, he talks about this group. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And that's what we want to know, isn't it? Well, what... What is the will of the Father? Well, the will of the Father isn't just step one and step two. <laughs> there's an there's another step involved here. Jesus went on there in verse 22. He said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What a shock for those who thought they were doing God's service only to find out they were really serving themselves. Thus, ultimately, they were serving the devil. What a realization of absolute horror they will experience. But friends, that doesn't have to be your experience. And that's the good news, isn't it? We don't have to go through that experience. God has made every provision for us to inherit immortality when he returns. But we got to follow the blueprint that is contained between the two covers of the book that he has provided and protected through ages. Uh, that book is called the Bible. Now for step three in overcoming sin, I want us to think about Matthew chapter 4. And we talked about this, remember? Matthew 4 is where you have recorded the temptation of Jesus. And as we studied that, uh, this is the first great battle in which Jesus overcame the devil. Now, I want you to remember, as you think about that, Jesus led out into the wilderness there. Um, remember that we're not talking about a primarily a physical battle, are we? I mean, Jesus is physical. He had a human body like ours, and that body went out into the wilderness. But we're talking primarily about something much higher than that. We're talking about a spiritual battle, aren't we? But I want you to see the context of this battle and see um, when it happened, because it tells us about step three in overcoming sin. Before Jesus went into this battle, I want you to notice what happened. Uh, It's what happened in Matthew chapter 3. Before he he went into that battle, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17 says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And I'll get to that in just a minute. It's an amazing thing to see the Savior of the world come to John to be baptized. And many people get confused by that. Why would Jesus do that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then he suffered him. Verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, notice here that Jesus, Now, I'm, I'm reading this, this is in the context here, Um, chapter 3 and 4 are all together here. This is what happened, what took place before Jesus went into the wilderness. Right? And it says here that Jesus was baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit came down and lighted upon him. So before Jesus went to his first major battle against the devil, he was baptized and he had received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that remarkable? Now, Jesus didn't lose the battle in the wilderness as we studied before. But before he went into the battle, he exercised faith, was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. And what was it he said John, to John? He said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It's the right thing to do as an example of those who who want to overcome sin. Now, let's think about this, friends. If Jesus had to receive the Holy Spirit so that he could win the battle, do you suppose it's necessary for each of us to receive the Holy Spirit if we want to overcome the temptation to sin as he did? Let's look at what Peter said, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter said, if you repent, and repent and confession are very closely tied together, okay? So he said, if you repent and are baptized, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is lifted up, so that you clearly see him, okay? Remember Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So when Jesus is lifted up, and you clearly see him, you realize that you've sinned against God and man. You realize your true condition of mortality. And unless there is a change, you realize you're condemned to die. But you're then led to the truth of why Jesus came here. And that with Jesus you may be forgiven and have the opportunity to live for eternity with Him. So you are led to by Christ, to repentance. You are sorrowful for all your sins. You're then urged to confess those sins so they may be blotted out of the book of sins, right? Out of the record. Then you're urged to make a choice as to accept Jesus or reject Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And this is what many people miss. Millions of people. And I'm not exaggerating. Millions of people repent and confess, but they don't take the next step and give their life to Christ completely. And it is that next step, that third step, that is even more important, dare I say, uh, than the first two, though all three are necessary to overcome sin. If you do not accept Jesus, friends, uh, then what is the point in repenting and confessing? Have you ever thought about that? You will eventually sin again and sin again and sin again, and you'll never stop. God cannot take someone to heaven that continues to sin. So, the next step after confession must be taken if we are to stop sinning. You see, this process of repentance, confession, and faith, uh, you see it played out in the sanctuary services of the Old Testament if you uh, have done any reading of that, every sin that was committed had a sin offering. There was a sacrifice where the offering was slain by the hand of the sinner. You didn't just bring yourself to the priest and go into the confessional there in the courtyard and repent and confess, then leave the courtyard. Did you? That's not what it says in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. So you not only had to take step one and repent, and step two, confess, but you had to exercise faith by killing that lamb yourself as it pointed to the Messiah that would be slain to cover your sin. Now Jesus gave us this same example in form. We just read it in in chapter 3 there, in Matthew 3. He came to John the Baptist to repent. Now, Jesus didn't repent of anything personally, did he? Because he never sinned. But he represented all of us who have sinned. So, he came to John the Baptist to repent, to confess. Again, no personal sins to confess, but he represented all of us who need to confess, right? Right? and was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. He said it's it's right to do this. See? It's a right example for everyone. And he did this before he went into his first major battle against the temptations to sin recorded there in Matthew chapter 4. Now, I want to take just a moment here Um, and I want to mention something about being baptized. Um, Baptism is the outward ceremony of the new birth that has already happened in a person's heart. It's like a, a wedding ceremony in that the wedding is the outward ceremony of the love that has already happened in the hearts of that man and woman. Both... Are testimonies, both of these baptism, a wedding, they're testimonies of changed hearts and a witness of changed hearts. Now, some people think you can baptize somebody when they're first born, but do couples get married when they're first born? <laughs> well, of course not. You see, according to the Bible, there are prerequisites before you can get married and there are prerequisites before you can be baptized but i'm specifically speaking about baptism now and the example that we see here with john the baptist look in matthew chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 it says then went went out to him jerusalem and all judea this is talking about john the baptist and all the region round about jordan and were baptized of him in the jordan confessing their sins Now, why were they confessing their sins? Because if you look at what John the Baptist told them in verse 2, he said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is necessary in order to be baptized? Well, two things. The first two steps we've looked at in overcoming sin. Let's look up one more text first. Mark 16 and verse 16. Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now notice, we're talking about baptism here, and some people believe that you've got to baptize babies. A baby cannot believe in God yet. It's not old enough, it's not developed enough, its brain isn't, uh, to make such decisions to believe in God or not. Belief or faith is necessary then to be baptized, isn't it? So there are two uh, prerequisites to be baptized: first is to experience repentance and repentance and then confession. you know, confess your sins, and second, you exercise faith and accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, thus you're converted. see you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. And sometime afterwards, as you learn more of Christ, you'll then have the outward ceremony of water baptism, showing the world that you have experienced that inward change in heart. And you love Jesus so much, you have committed your entire life to Him. Now, to exercise faith, of course, involves having knowledge, doesn't it? That's a part of it, isn't it? God doesn't ask us to have a blind faith, beloved. Beloved. He doesn't say, believe this whether you believe it or not. right? It's not a blind faith. Jesus said that when people were baptized, they were to continue to be taught all that he commanded. So there is a continuing education process in the school of Christ. You read that in Matthew 28. There's a continuing education in the school of Christ after baptism. And here again are the three steps in overcoming sin. Repentance, confession, then you exercise faith and receive the Holy Spirit. I must have that experience if I'm going to have victory and continue to overcome sin in my life. Now, I'll probably get into a bit more more detail about these steps because these are the the basic steps and then there are things that fall under each one of those steps. In particular, the third step. So next time we get together I'll probably get into it in a little bit more detail. But these are the three steps that must be taken before anyone can truly overcome sin. We must be converted, friends. We must be converted and become the children of God members of his family, members of the light and not the dark before we can even hope to completely overcome sin. And the change that takes place in our lives when we first become children of God is spoken of in the Bible as a birth and as a born-again experience. You know, people say, well, born-again, what does that mean? Well, where's the reference for that? Where's the source of that expression? You need to be born again. Well, it comes from God's word, doesn't it? And so we need to have a born again experience. It's also compared to the germination of good seed that a farmer sows in his field. But if you notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he describes those who have taken these steps. He he describes them as newborn babes. You know, this is what he says, First Peter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So we're like newborn babes, Peter says. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that God gave to the church certain ministries or, or offices, you could say, to help us newborn babes to grow in stature to be like Jesus. Let's go there and read that. Let's go there and read that. Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 15. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see that? Why why did he give these offices? For the perfecting of the saints. And for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The entire body of Christ. Well, how long are these offices in play? How long do they exist? Verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. It's talking about character here now. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we become like Jesus. See? in character, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Paul was clear, friends, that the goal of God for each of us His goal for each of us is for us to grow up until we look just like Christ in all His character perfection. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 says, The followers of Christ shall be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that God might be glorified. And that's the bottom line, isn't it? To glorify God. Now, all these different illustrations uh, in the Bible are given to help us better understand the truths of spiritual life. And it's only through the life that God imparts that all things live. Isn't that true? He's the giver of life. He's the creator. Whether plant or animal, life comes from Him. And in the same way, it's only through life from God that spiritual life begins and continues. So unless a man is born again, remember Jesus told Nicodemus that, unless a man is born again, he cannot become a partaker of the life that Christ came to give. And we must continue to grow, spiritually speaking, we must continue to grow, or we will die spiritually. Just as you cannot become born by yourself, friends, neither can you grow spiritually by yourself, you know, apart from God. And Jesus was talking about this in John chapter 15. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Now, friends, if you just take the first two steps... Repent and confess, there's no abiding in there, is there? You can conf- you repent, you confess, then you go out, you know, you're not walking <laughs> with the Lord. But Jesus says, you can't bear fruit of yourself. You have to abide in the vine. And when Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, that's exactly what he means. And that goes for both beginning and ending the continuing of our spiritual walk. Hebrews tra- chapter uh, 12 and verse 2 says that Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. So don't ever think that you can somehow go it on your own and-, and live a righteous life without sin. And many of us fall into that trap. We think there are things that we must do. Okay? And we've learned that no matter how hard we try, in this series, we've, you know, the sin issue, we have learned that no matter how hard we try, we can never hit the mark of God on our own. But we'll always, friends, fall short of it. And that's, that's sin. That's what it means, sin. And also, I want you to understand, I want you to understand that God doesn't get us started in our spiritual walk, and then say, okay, now you're on your own. Friends, there will never be a time when we don't need Jesus throughout all eternity. There will never be a time. We have to receive the life of Christ every day and throughout the day or we'll surely yield to temptation. And as soon as we do that, well, friends, we're on that downward path to death. And uh, that that death I'm speaking of isn't the sleep. It's the eternal death there in that lake of fire. You remember what um, You remember what God told Adam and Eve? At the very beginning. In Genesis 2 and verse 17. This is what God told Adam and Eve. He said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ye shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof... You shall surely die. In the original it's dying, thou shalt die. Now they didn't die physically that day, did they? No. But they did die spiritually. They were changed also in appearance. And even their mind was changed. They immediately started to age. Where before they never aged. They ate from the the tree of life, see? They never aged. So they immediately started to age and would one day die. And that's why an animal had to be killed in order to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. And that animal took the death that they deserved and represented Jesus that would one day come and sacrifice his own life that we might have a chance to be born again and receive the gift of eternal life. But what if we choose to sin after being born again? And friends, this is the important question we need to answer, isn't it? This is the important question we must be able to answer correctly if we would one day receive immortality. I go back to my Southern Baptist friend who had the theory that once you've been born again, you can't be unborn. Therefore, everyone that accepts Christ is saved and can't be lost. So no matter if we choose to sin, we will be saved because we have been accepted by God due to our repentance and confession. Just two steps needed, but no more. Now think about that. Doesn't that sound like a Catholic teaching to you? You know, I remember listening to to him and after considering his words for a few seconds, I replied, you know, it's true. Once you've been born again, you can't be unborn. But then I asked him that after one is born, can they still die? And if you die, wouldn't you have to be reborn in order to live again? Think about that for a few minutes. Let it sink in. You see, friends, all of us have become so accustomed, I think, um, to this thought that if we sin, all we have to do is repent, confess, and all is well. We don't really need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says. We don't need to be earnest in overcoming sin with with that kind of a justification process, and that's all too agreeable to us, isn't it? I mean, overcoming sin is hard, right? This two-step process is so much better, we think. We can then try our best, and, well, if we fall, all we need to do is repent, confess, and start over again. But let's think about this kind of process for a moment longer. If it was true that all we needed was to repent confess wouldn't that have been enough to receive forgiveness and have eternal life immediately after Adam sinned? Jesus wouldn't have had to die in our place at all then, right? Why would we need a sacrifice at all? So what happens as a result of this kind of thinking is that we really don't need to know Jesus so intimately. Or we don't need Jesus all the time. Because we really don't need to hate sin and therefore we don't really need a substitute. There are then some things that we can do on our own, you see, without Christ. And so we eventually get to the point, this is where it leads, it gets to the point that sin is not so hateful to us. Friends, can you see how subtle the devil is in instituting this kind of a system? that actually rejects Christ in the name of being saved by Him by just repenting and confessing. But let me tell you that eventually that two-step process will become no process at all because we will see that what we are repenting and confessing is not our fault because we're born to do it. Right? So God is unfair. God is unfair in demanding that we can repent and confess. Knowing that we, we will always sin. And what's the result of that? Instead of loving God and hating sin, we get to the point where we will love sin and hate God. Now think about that for a minute. If we were born to sin, think about this. If we were born to sin, what exactly would we be repenting and confessing? That we're not God? Who doesn't sin? Well, of course we're not God. So why in the world would we repent of not being God? Or think of it this way. Why would we repent for being human? I mean, we didn't have a choice in the matter, did we? I'm sorry, God, that I'm a human and a human was born to sin. I'm sorry. I repent of being human. (laughs) Either way, the two-step only process leads away from God because without the third step, there's no love motivation. You see, friends, there is no faith that is needed. It's all mechanical in nature. And because of that, it's motivated out of either fear of punishment or reward for good behavior. But what did Jesus tell us? In John 14, 15, he said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And there you find the element, don't you? Love. Love. The only way we can actually keep the commandments is if we love Jesus. Now, when we don't love Jesus and we sin, a mark is placed against us in in the book. And we need to have it removed. If we will receive eternal life by being granted to eat of the tree of life, there in the future, And that's what happens when we repent and confess our sins. That mark is removed, and this process has to happen every time that we knowingly disobey the law of God. If we do not repent and confess, the mark will remain and we'll be lost because of it. And you've heard me say that, well, that's what the the unpardonable sin is. It's the sin that we don't repent of. But Jesus promises us, you see, a third step in the process and that is to learn to quit sinning he promises not only the knowledge of it but also the power and the third step is what helps us to get to the point through faith exercising faith through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit where we will no longer need steps one and two have you ever thought about that Repentance and confession will no longer be needed, you see, as we will reach a point in our spiritual walk where we hate sin so much that we will refuse to choose it. And this is the spiritual growth, that spiritual growth process that's called sanctification. We actually see the process played out in nature all the time. You can especially see it if you plant a garden. This year, my wife and I, we planted beans in our garden. I love green beans. (laughs) So we plant beans. And I know it's God that causes the plants to bud and bloom and bring forth fruit. But I also know that if, if they don't continue to be cared for, you know, by being watered and weeded and fed, we'll never see that fruit mature, no matter how good of a start they may have had no matter how careful we were to make sure they were planted and fertilized correctly at the beginning. Well, the same can be said of our spiritual walk, friends. We need God at every step of our spiritual growth, not just at the beginning. And when you think about it, that takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it? It takes the pressure off of us and it puts it on Christ. And let me tell you something, Christ wants it, And he can handle it. (laughs) So, let's give it to him. Right? All we have to do is agree to be within his garden space. And by faith, do what he tells us to do. And we will spiritually grow. And as we grow, we will become more like him in character. And that's what it will take to give us an abundant entrance into God's everlasting kingdom. When we... When we plant, let's say, a tomato seed, we are exercising faith that it'll grow. But it's by God's power that the seed develops, not ours, right? All we did was trust God's word that if we plant the seed in good soil, give it water and sunshine, that God will work on the growth of that seed. Jesus tried to teach this to us several times. He said in Mark 4, and verse 28, He said, first the blade then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. And remember he also said, consider the lilies, how they grow. The plants and flowers don't grow by their own effort, friends, but by receiving what God has supplied to minister to their life. In Matthew 6, verse 27, Jesus said, which of you by taking thought, and what he means by that is, to be anxious about. This is, this is what he's trying to convey. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Now a cubit is about the length of an average uh, a person's adult's forearm. Okay? So not only can we not add about a foot and a half to our height by worry or anxiety or effort... We can't even add an inch, can we? And it's the same way with spiritual growth, friends. What water and food and sunshine are to our garden, such is Christ to us when we trust in Him to supply all our needs, our spiritual needs. By the gift of God in giving Jesus to the human race, He has encircled, friends, the entire globe, with an atmosphere of grace as real as the air we breathe. And if we choose to breathe this life-giving atmosphere, we will live and grow up to the stature of men and women in Christ. Let me, let me try another example. Every summer, uh, we go to a state park. Uh, for a family reunion. And this park has many hiking trails that go through ravines and hollers. And in many places on that trail, the sunshine uh, is screened out to a degree. So the young trees that are trying to grow, they try to find a way to reach the sunshine. And they'll twist and they'll curve to get to the light of life. It's a remarkable thing to see, the the shapes of some of these trees trying to find the sunshine. I find it interesting how plants were designed to turn toward the sun in order to perfect their growth. It's called heliotropism. And if we're going to perfect, friends, the growth of our character, we must turn like those trees. Toward the Son of Righteousness. Because that's the only source of true spiritual life, isn't it? Remember what Jesus said in John 15 about abiding in Him like the branches in the vine? We're just as dependent upon Christ in order to live a holy life as it is for the branch upon the parent stock to grow and produce fruit. And apart from Christ, well, friends, we, we have no life, really. Period. It's worthless. It. It's worthless. You know, one of the things that really made a profound effect upon me was my realization years and years ago that I could live my entire life, and if I'm not in the kingdom of heaven, what did it really accomplish? Is it, wouldn't it have been just a complete waste something to think about we have no power in ourselves friends to to resist temptation or to grow in grace and holiness but if we abide in jesus we'll live we'll thrive like that tree planted in one of those uh, state park hollers however there's a caution i believe when thinking about these things, because there are some who think they don't have to do anything to work out their own salvation, as Paul talks about, you know, with fear and trembling. Uh, It's referred to sometimes as that sloppy agape of all you have to do is believe. Just have a knowledge and accept that Jesus exists and you will be saved. But there is a misunderstanding of that word believe. And the reason there's a misunderstanding of that, I mean, uh, um, The reason that it's perpetuated uh, is because there are ministers all over the world that preach that misunderstanding. The word used there is better rendered commit. We must commit our life to Jesus. Let's look at marriage again. In marriage, we commit our life to our spouse. Not just for the day, right? Not just for the wedding. Not just one time, Right, We commit till death do we part. It is this type of commitment that must be made to Jesus if we're to have any hope, friends, to overcome sin. Our growth in grace, our joy, uh, and our usefulness in this life all depend upon being connected to Jesus. And you can't stay connected when you go day after day Uh, neglecting Him, neglecting your study, neglecting prayer time. It just won't work. It's by communion with Jesus every day and every hour of the day, as Paul talks about, pray without ceasing, this is what he's talking about, an attitude of communing with Jesus every second. That's how you abide in Him. That's how we grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. He has to be with us, not only at the beginning, but at the end of the course. We finish the race, see, and every step along the way. In Psalm 16 and verse 8, David said, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So, our call to worship today. If we were connected to the Lord all the time, do you think the devil would ever defeat us? But if we're not connected, what happens? We fail, don't we? No question about it. Remember how the sin is described as shooting at the mark of God, but always falling short of it? Only with Christ living within can we ever hit the mark. And when people hear things like abiding in Christ, you know, and talk about it, and they wonder, how am I supposed to do it? I get that question actually quite a lot. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, I don't mean to offend anybody. It's really pretty simple, the concept. You abide in Him the same way you first received Him. In Colossians 2 and verse 6, Paul says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Well, how did you first receive him? Hebrews 10.38 says, The just shall live by faith. So if you've never been converted, you might well wonder well, how to abide, but if you've truly been born again, you know how that came about. At least to a degree. And so you have to go back and recapture that experience if you've lost it. You take these steps. You start looking up. And beholding Christ again by reading and studying His word. By praying and acting upon the principles that you're learning from Him. By repenting and confessing your sins. By exercising faith in His word. Trusting Him when He says you have been forgiven. We dredge up the past all too often. That hurts us. And just as you accepted Christ by faith and trusted him to save you at first, in the very same way, you have to maintain a vital connection with him, you see, friends. That's how we're justified. That's how we're sanctified. That's how we're pardoned. That's how we live in holiness. That's how salvation comes. That's how it remains. It's a lifestyle change, see? (laughs) You're born again. You know, friends, when you accepted Christ, you gave yourself completely to Him, didn't you? You gave yourself to be wholly His, to serve Him, to obey Him. It's, again, like to a marriage. You become one with Him. And it's by loving Him and no one else and depending wholly upon Him and no one else that we're to be transformed into His likeness. And whenever we look to self or, or to, to another person, we turn away from Christ. And that's what the devil wants. Because it'll destroy any union and communion you might have had with him. Now plants, they don't have a choice but to turn toward the sun. But we do have a choice, don't we? And we can turn away from Christ any time we choose to. And if Satan can get uh, uh, you to separate from Christ by worldly pleasures or You know, the cares of this life or by dwelling on the faults of others or even your own faults and imperfections. Well, he's accomplished his goal. These are his devices to lead you away from Jesus as the source of life. So, friends, don't let him do it. Keep looking up. Keep looking up to Jesus. I remember talking with my younger brother several years ago. Of course, before he died. And he didn't believe that he could be saved. He thought that he was predestined to be lost. He dwelt upon his own faults and and his weaknesses and imperfections um, to the point that Satan gained control over him. Now, he would mention at times that he wanted to believe Christ, But he had indulged anxiety and fear as to whether or not he would be saved for so long that you see he lost all hope. And if you've ever thought that way, you need to stop it, friends. And realize that you're you're precious in God's sight. And that Jesus loved you enough to die for you. Not just that, he gave up all heaven came here to become like us and died. So don't let Satan discourage you in that way. If Jesus didn't think you were worth it, he wouldn't have come down here in the first place. The cross of Calvary, friends, it speaks loud and clear that the way is open for you to inherit eternal life. And when you dwell upon self, of course you get discouraged because... Self is full of imperfections and shortcomings, isn't it? Self is sinful. Because your human nature is sinful. And when you look away from Christ to self, what do you have left? Well, all you have left is your sinful self. If you look at somebody else, what do you see? You see their imperfections. But if you leave sinful self in God's hands, friends, if you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ, he will bring you off more than conqueror as the Bible says, through Him that loves you. You see, friends, when when Christ took human nature, He bound Himself to humanity by a tie of love that can't be broken by any power except our own choice. And Satan will constantly present falsehoods and enticements to us in the hope that we will break this tie by choosing to separate ourselves from Jesus. So what we need to do is keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and He will preserve us. Looking to Jesus, we're always safe, friends. and Nothing can pluck us out of His hand. That's the promise that Jesus made. Look, look at what He said in John 10, verses 28 and 29. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now we can jump out of His hand any anytime we choose, but why would we do that? It's only because the world becomes attractive to us when we neglect our time with Christ. A godly character, friends, is not something that comes naturally to any of us. But it happens as we go places and we do things with Jesus. Let's think about when He was here and and His disciples were with Him. I mean, they traveled with Him, didn't they? They lived with Him. They slept. They were a family. They ate, slept, prayed, worked together. And as a result of being with Him, almost constantly they began to reflect his character more and more. Now, why did this happen? Because it's a natural law. Think of this. It's a natural law that by beholding, we become changed. What you expose yourself to will mold your character one way or the other. You remember these quotes I shared at the beginning of this series with you? This one's from Child Guidance, page 199. Any one act, either good or evil, does not form the character, but thoughts and feelings indulged prepare the way for acts and deeds of the same kind. Remember that statement? Here's the other one. It's from Christ's Objects Lessons, page 356. Actions repeated form habits. Habits form character, and by the character, our destiny for time and for eternity is decided. So, it's like a natural law that God has built in, you know, to to creation. By beholding things, we become changed. And so, as you look at that time that Jesus was here and the apostles were with him, um, well, look at John the one who most fully reflected the character of Christ, you could say, he didn't naturally possess a lovely character, did he? He was not only self-assertive and ambitious for self-honor, but he had a fierce and violent temper as well. He and his brother were called the sons of thunder, you know, and they were called that for a reason. They were the kind of guys that'd fly off the handle at the least provocation and stomp on anyone that got in their way. That's the kind kind of men they were. But as John observed the character of Christ day in and day out, he began to see his own deficiencies by comparison, you see. And he was humbled by the way Jesus dealt with various situations. And all the godly traits of character that Jesus manifested in every crisis, as well as in his daily routine, they filled John's soul with admiration and love. And as John yielded to it, it changed him dramatically. And so, friends, I ask you, do you want that kind of a change? Well, you can have it. But you've got to spend time with Jesus. Because it doesn't come any other way. Jesus doesn't just wave a magic wand and poof, there you are. Day by day, John's heart was drawn out toward Christ until he lost sight of himself in love for his master. He began to hate sin more and more as he loved Jesus more and more. And this same transformation will happen to each of us, friends, as we yield ourselves to Christ, as John did. As a professing Christian, friends, I'll tell you this. You know, as a pastor... There are certain signs that the Holy Spirit helps me to discern when there's trouble in the church or there's trouble with someone. You see, as a professing Christian, if you don't have a desire to serve God from your heart, then there's something wrong. And your character will never be formed in righteousness if that's the case. Let me share another statement with you. I've shared this before. It's from the book The Desire of Ages, page 668. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ, and if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, remember what the will was, it's our power of choice, right? She says, the will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. It will become hateful. If we're not obeying God from the heart, if it's not a delight to serve Him, it will do nothing for our character. And if our character does not reflect the character of Christ, He can't claim us as His own. And friends, if He can't claim us as His own, we're going to be left to die the second death. John said, First John 5, 3, he said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous or His commandments are not burdensome. So friends, if you reflect upon yourself and your behavior and the, the, the walk that you have right now and you find that obeying God is a burden to you, then your love for Him isn't what it should be. There's something wrong when it's like pulling teeth to get you to do what He wants you to do. And, of course, it's self that's causing all the problems, isn't it? And so what we've been looking at are the, the one, two, three of the gospel, in a sense. It's not really not complicated. We act upon the gift of repentance by confessing or acknowledging that we have sinned. God forgives us and gives us the Holy Spirit as we learn to live a new life, even the life of Christ, by spending time with Him. And that's about as simple as it gets. Of course the theological terms for for this are justification and sanctification you know being pardoned and then learning how to keep living a holy life once we've been forgiven and cleansed of all our past sins and this is what the third angel's message is all about this is the process we go through to be changed from a sinner to a saint and grow into the likeness of christ like a corn seed you know, we start out as babes in Christ, but as long as we take in those nutrients from God's Word and the Holy Spirit waters it as He's promised to do, and we are constantly turned toward that sun of righteousness, we will be perfect at each stage as we grow up into a mature plant. As we grow and abide in that vine. But make no mistake. When we willfully transgress God's law, the growth process stops and we're in danger, friends, of shriveling up unless we make a quick work of repentance and confession and trust in God's promises to overcome sin. Because I'll tell you, friends, there's no such thing as standing still in our character development. We're either going forward or we're losing ground. The fallen nature is in love with sin. And unfortunately, each one of us has one. <laughs> uh, but as we partake of the divine nature on a continual basis, as Peter tells us there, you know, trusting those promises, acting upon Him, we follow where it leads, we're going to have victory over sin and be prepared to take our flight to heaven when Jesus comes. One last quote. It's familiar to you. Christ Objects Lessons, page 69. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in His people, then He will come to claim them as His own. You know, I'm an old Eagle Scout, and the Boy Scout motto is, Be prepared. And this likeness to Christ involves a preparation in this life. A preparation that requires right choices and decisions all along the way. And if we're not making right choices, we're truly preparing to fail. And the only way to make right choices is to have Christ abiding in one's heart, in one's mind. So may each one of us be preparing, friends, to succeed by taking hold of Christ with the attitude that we will not let Him go. And this attitude begins by teaching, uh, uh, um, taking each of these three steps. Being drawn by Christ to repentance, confessing our sins and exercising faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we keep looking up to the author and finisher of our faith then you know what happens we receive that robe of Christ's righteousness and we will have a right to eat of the tree of life and live for all eternity let's bow our heads and pray Father in heaven we do thank you so very very much again for this Holy Sabbath day We thank You that You loved us so much that You gave Your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That we commit ourselves to Jesus right now. We ask forgiveness for our sins. We pray, Lord, that You will create in us a desire to spend more time in Your Holy Word, more time in prayer, more time with Jesus throughout each and every day. So by beholding, we may become changed more and more into his image. And reflect that image to those around us, that they may see love. We thank you so much for your promises, and we trust them now. Please continue to be with us on this holy day. May we keep it holy and bring glory to thee. I pray in the name of Jesus, who is worthy.